Welcome to the Unexpected Leader Podcast. You know, in the past, God chose to call fishermen and tax collectors to join Him on His mission. Today, He still calls the broken. They may be sons and daughters of mechanics or businessmen and men. You may be one of them in a position of lay or vocational leadership in a church or a mission agency, maybe an educational institution or denominational leadership. But if you, like me, find yourself unexpectedly in leadership, then this podcast is for you. Thanks for taking the time to listen in. My name's Garth Williams, and I'm here with Lois Mitchell. Lois, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. Looking forward to it. Yeah, thank you so much for joining as uh, the co-host on this. And uh, as we get started, I'm excited to see uh, how God's going to use this. And uh, we'll get into that in a little while. But uh, as we start out, you know, this is about how God chooses to use uh, people who are not necessarily born into leadership families, uh, not necessarily raised in leadership skill sets, uh, but how God chooses to use them uh, on a daily basis to make a difference for his kingdom, whether it's in pastoral ministry, whether that's in lay leadership, whether that's in denominational leadership. As I think about that, you know, you've had a significant impact both on the Canadian Baptists of Atlantic Canada, but also nationally uh, in the area of um, uh, social action, social awareness. And, and I just kind of want to ask you this question. When you were in grade 11 and 12, were you thinking that that's where God would kind of uh, use you or that would draw you into that context? Uh, is that what you were preparing for in your course selection? Yeah, absolutely. Short answer is absolutely not. Uh, when I was in grade 11, 12, I was uh, very involved in sports, um, high school sports, um, and I just anticipated, it just seemed like a natural thing. I'd go um, on to become a, a coach at either a high school or university level basketball probably in field hockey and uh, yeah I was pretty pretty content with that kind of a vision and even in terms of where I was spiritually it was at a time when I would say I was kind of a dormant Christian had made a profession of faith when I was a bit younger than that and uh, but had you know kind of in a sense was really searching but had kind of set aside the conventional um, church involvement, church membership. So definitely not on my radar uh, to do the things I've ended up doing. Take me back then, at what point in time in your journey did God kind of disrupt that trajectory or that thinking such that you wound up, uh, you know, obviously going down a different track than being kind of a sports coach or a basketball mm -hmm. coach? Or, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's fun. It's kind of fun to look back, you know, uh, hindsight is, is, uh, is an interesting perspective. So I would say went to university um, in my hometown, had a great basketball and field hockey team, played basketball and field hockey for those four years, was kind of on track, took phys ed, um, which would have been the normal preparation for a phys ed teacher, of course. Um, but the year I graduated was the first year that the university didn't offer a teaching license with your phys ed degree. So I was going to have to do more university, and I waited at that time, you know, will I go on to education or will I do a master's degree? By that time, I had taken some sociology courses as electives in university and loved sociology. So next step was a master's degree in sport sociology, kind of merging those two, uh, two interests. 
um, finished that master's degree and considered a, a position as a field hockey basketball coach at a university level. Um, but then that door closed because they, they, they were um, having financial kind of issues and they had to fill the position internally. So I decided to go on to do a PhD um, in sociology Still no, no kind of sense of call the ministry or, or leadership within a Christian context at all. Um, all through that time, had continued searching and uh, ultimately did kind of come back full circle around to Christian faith. Then got married, uh, which was one of those disruptor moments. <laughs> uh, definitely changed the trajectory of my life significantly. Was almost finished my PhD, got married um, to a fisherman, moved to Deer Island. Um, not the best move career-wise if I was anticipating a, a teaching career in a university. Um, but uh, over time, had had two kids and then went into the convention office one day and said, you know, I've got this PhD in sociology, is there anything that you would like to have me do in terms of research or preparing some background information? And uh, yeah, at that time, Doug Hateman was the director of social action. And uh, Doug said, oh, like we've, we've just had a commission meeting. There were commissions back then. Um, and we have identified family violence as an area that we want to kind of focus on for a few years. So, you know, if you're interested, we'd love to have uh, some research done and some information on family violence. So that's kind of how my connection with our convention started, and one thing led to another. And it's, uh, yeah, fascinating how my interest in sociology, and, and I think I've always had an interest and a passion for justice and, and morality and all of that, how it, it all did kind of come together. Um, and then it's just one thing leads to another. And yeah, so I very unexpectedly f have found myself in, in a position of uh, leadership or influence uh, within that, like our Baptist circle in Atlantic Canada and nationally. Nothing I ever sort of thought had an ambition for, but in a very real sense, unexpectedly found myself in a position uh, that, that totally suited who I was and who I was becoming, um, but not, you know, wasn't uh, an ambition. I love that story, especially, you know, and you maybe didn't bring this out completely, but knowing the story a little bit, the fact that you, I think you were studying in St. John's with your PhD. Um, I actually, the uh, before I finished my PhD, I had a one-year appointment at Memorial University in St. John's. So we actually got married uh, June 29th, and Labor Day weekend, I moved to, to Newfoundland for 10 months, and, yeah. and Dale stayed home. We sort of commuted back and forth. I think the longest we went was like a month uh, without, and I, I we, we laugh, but it's true. It was a good way to ease into, yeah. into marriage. Yeah. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so when you were in grade 11. Yeah, so when I was in grade 11, the um, the premier thing on my mind was just getting out of high school. That was just the first thing I wanted, to, you know, I, it was just how can I get out of here and not have to do any more coursework. Uh, and so facing the reality of still having grade 12 and the mounting pressure that um, I needed to have 
something to do when I was finished grade 12 from my parents, I began to think about, you know, what would it be like to have a career selling shoes? So really, that's seriously what I wanted yeah, to do. Yeah. Uh, when I was, you know, coming to complete grade 12, I did apply to uh, UNB in St. John. Um, they apparently didn't think I had uh, enough marks to uh, enter into a, a lab tech program, but they offered me an arts program. And I was like, I don't want to paint. So in the midst of all of that, I, I just had resigned myself. Um, no one else, I was the youngest of five kids. No one else had gone on to post-secondary education. Mm -hmm. And so I just assumed that I would find my path and that I would start out in retail and that somehow along that way, things would unpack and unfold. And so that was my intent. Uh, you know, God obviously had something else planned. And then I came home one day and my mom and dad just kind of said, you know, we'd really like one of our kids to at least do a year of college. And so if you go to, at that time, Atlanta Baptist College, now Crandall University, we'll pay for your whole shot to go. And I'm like, cool, eight months of summer camp on my mom and dad's bill. And so I thought, yeah, why not? My best friend was going. We had lots of uh, other people from our youth group who were headed there as well. And I thought, yeah, this will be a good time. And so totally, that's the only reason I went was, okay, I don't have to go work. I can go and I can just kind of have a good time uh, with my friends. And it, it will be like summer camp. In the uh, second uh, semester of that year, for me, things begin to shift and to change. And God called me into pastoral ministry clearly burdened my heart and, and convicted me that he had a purpose and a plan for me that was totally different than retail or to um, just kind of find my own way by happenstance that he really wanted me to kind of um, shift gears. And so so I, I was overwhelmed by that in many respects because, you know, my family, my dad was um, a ticketed painter, fiberglass, mechanic, you know, that was his, tr he was trades all yeah. the way. And my mom had grown up in, in a business family where her, her dad had ran fish stores in St. John for years, and she had worked in those fish stores. And to kind of be called into to a vocation that was, you know, required a lot more training and skilled education, uh, it was a little bit overwhelming and intimidating at the same time. And so I think for the next, you know, four years, five years, my path was pretty set in terms of the education mm -hmm. academic piece. But the whole way along, um, even though God had invited me into this, you know, mystical piece of pastoring, I was like, I don't really feel like I fit that. I don't really feel that that's who I am. I don't really feel that that's kind of, you know, that I'll have great joy, fulfillment, or really it was success, yeah. right? I was thinking, oh, great, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be the worst pastor ever uh, is kind of really what I felt. And um, during my seminary years, there was one poignant moment where we were in an interpersonal relationship class setting. And I'm an introvert, and I don't talk a whole lot uh, in a large group setting. I keep my own thoughts to myself. And uh, the professor was trying to crack us and trying to kind of get to who we were. And he said, um, he just said to the class, so tell me why Garth doesn't talk a lot in this class. And uh, one of my close friends said, well, you know, Garth doesn't talk a lot in this class because he doesn't necessarily think he's got good things to say or that people appreciate necessarily what he has to say. And I was kind of going like, oh, 
Wow. Okay. I thought I'd hit that. (laughs) (laughs) I thought I'd done a fairly good job at kind of, you know, kind of hiding that. And and I'll never forget the words of the professor, or at least this is what it sounded like to me that he Mm -hmm. said. He goes, huh, that's interesting because I think Garth's one of the better thinkers. Hmm. And it was the first time that I felt like my thought process and how I think and see the world was validated by someone who wasn't my mom. And and I think for me, that really began to change kind of how I saw myself. But I really would say that it wasn't for another four or five years uh, when I was out pastoring in pastoral ministry. And I had gone through a bit of uh, what I would call pastoral trauma. And I really had to spend some time really kind of processing through who I was before God, whether God really wanted to use me, and whether or not I saw myself as someone who God could use. And, you know, at that point in time, uh, I found an author by the name of Brendan Manning. I revisited some C.S. Lewis and really spent some time, you know, journaling, which isn't something that I do on a daily basis, but really journaling to discover that God could use me. And so I think the whole journey for me has been unexpected. And then even seven years ago, being given the opportunity to serve our denomination in this capacity was incredibly unexpected. Mm. Because again, if we build through kind of some of my family story and history, uh, I feel at times as one of the most unqualified individuals to be doing this. Mm. So that's kind of my story of being kind of an unexpected leader. Mm, yeah. But, you know, there's those times, like I said, coming face to face with a crisis uh, in, in pastoral trauma um, and finding some guideposts to help me along the way. And I had some significant friends pouring into me at that time mm. as well. But having those guideposts, uh, having those supports and those mentors, they've really helped me to be able to maintain um, a balance between, yeah, this is unexpected, but I'm called to do it, Mm. so I've got the capacity to do it. So what about you? Can you look back and say, yeah, there's those guideposts along the way that I would say they've helped me kind of not necessarily be comfortable with what I'm called to, but have the confidence to fulfill the mandate that God's given. Yeah, it's an interesting way to put it. And I think I would say um, that coming into, well, so the, my work with the, the our convention initially was volunteer and I was on the social action commission and and over time, sort of became a part-time director of, of social action, which we, we renamed a public witness. And I think over time, I you know, found myself in all kinds of conversations. Most of the time, through that work, I was in settings with people that had completely different qualifications than I did. So most, as you, as you know, most people at the convention office, in fact, all of the senior staff come through the route of pastoral ministry, like they they're, have Master of Divinity degrees. And so my master's in sports sociology and then a PhD in, in sociology, um, you know, I sort of was always a little bit conscious that I was looking at things from a different perspective. But I think I pretty quickly became comfortable with that, um, with that dynamic so that I was speaking into conversations 
from a different perspective, but a valuable perspective. And I think in that way, sort of God um, was allowing me to use to speak out of my my intellectual kind of, you know, I, I love, I live in my head a lot. So I, I think ideas, I think big picture all the time. So I loved having the, the opportunity to speak into ministry context from that different perspective. And it, But it, it did take, I think, some time to become, and I think I, over time I did become increasingly comfortable to, to be the person offering a different perspective. That I mean, that still continues. I, I often find myself, I uh, currently work now at St. Stephen's University, and I, it's, you know, I, I'm pretty passionate about the community there, but I'm often, I'm often looking at things from a slightly different vantage point than other people in the conversation. Yeah, I think uh, that's, that's, you know, if, if I could call it a gift, I think that's the way God has wired my mind to, to see things a little bit differently, to, to go a little bit deeper maybe than the obvious solutions. I, it's not, not anything that I work at. I, it's like I can't, I can't help but think that way. Um, so that's why I think it's the way I'm wired, the way God set me up. The reluctant, I'm, I would say I'm a reluctant leader because I'd rather, I'd always rather not um, be using, exercising that gift in a way that looks like leadership. I'd much rather influence the discussion, influence the way people are thinking about an issue, and then let someone else be the person that that makes the decisions or takes it um, in a particular direction. I'd say that's been consistent in every setting I've been in. There's yeah. always this tension between um, the unexpected leadership role, the tension of kind of fulfilling the mandate that God calls us to, mm-hmm. and then kind of the natural uh, path that we want to follow. Mm-hmm. So if we're, you know, as an introvert, I kind of do, I, I prefer to be behind the mm-hmm. scenes and maybe contribute in thought and in theory and kind of saying, well, let's do a test case on that and try to, as opposed to yeah. kind of necessarily being the person who's out front and leading and going, mm-hmm. let's go, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so it's that tension that we kind to live with. Yeah, and I was reminded, I had a, a, a friend from university, uh, one of my basketball teammates uh, visited a week or so ago. And it was really interesting because, you know, we have this perception of ourselves. So when I think about myself in grade 11, 12, through university, you know, I have this sort of <laughs> very comfortable vision of who I was. And it, it was so interesting because she was making comments about how she saw me at that time and really the two things don't don't match up very well Interesting. <laughs> and I think so and so that has reminded me like when I think about sort of the years that I worked with our convention and with CBM um, in the public witness area like there may be a total disconnect between the way I saw myself in leadership and the way other people within the team, within the convention staff, um, or the broader constituency, how they would see me. And I, it's, it's been kind of a humbling thing to realize that there is that potential disconnect between how we see ourselves and how other people see us. I was just reflecting and thinking on, you know, as self-awareness is such yep. a key part in that. Sometimes when we're thrust unexpectedly into those situations, there's almost a tendency to want to really rely on others to affirm. Yeah. Yes. And, and so, so yep. key, I think, for, for all of us who are, are in leadership positions unexpectedly, to be able to have people around us that we can depend on and we can trust, mm-hmm. uh, that they're just not going to tell us what we need to exactly. hear, yep. uh, that they're going to be speaking truth into our life to be able to kind of navigate through how we 
carry out the the call and fulfill yeah. that call in the midst of being that unexpected leader. Yeah. Because I think at times left to our own devices, we do see ourselves radically different uh, and we could really make a mess exactly. uh, of our world yeah. uh, and, and the lives of those around us if we're not uh, you know, attentive to some of those pieces. Yeah. I have always sort of resonated with the image of iron sharpening iron and in leadership, you know, in a team context, I love it when there's, you know, just really good passionate discussion about issues or directions and, you know, a lot of give and take and that for that to work well, it requires that everyone be pretty comfortable with with their contribution to this discussion, um, pretty self-aware, but having a, a goal for the end, at the end of the day, having a goal that's, you know, it's not anybody's particular agenda, but it's discovering a path or discovering a way forward. Um, hearing from everybody, like I have to say, I was on the convention review committee years ago. I can't even remember, probably around 2000. And uh, we spent a lot of time together uh, in room, and we had a lot of pretty passionate uh, discussions around the table in terms of vision and and how you know we were revisiting the the commission structure of the convention and and uh, I loved I loved those kind of settings where you're you know like talking about big picture ideas and but then getting practical like how do you implement the vision. And so that iron sharpening iron, people willing to speak the truth to one another, even if it's in complete disagreement, um, to me that, uh, yeah, that, that's exciting. Like, I love that kind of a setting. You're not worried about people getting their feelings heard, and it's, it's about the ideas and not about, you know, the, the people's kind of ego yeah. and protecting that. Yeah, it's so important at a leadership level to be able to um, shed the ego and be able to kind of have honest dialogue Uh, about critical, big, Mm -hmm. uh, important pieces of the mission and the journey. Thinking of mission and journey, Mm -hmm. uh, what are your thoughts on where we want to see this podcast go? I, I'm excited to hear, I think that having guests come in that we'll talk to and, and kind of hearing about their experience um, and providing for people who are listening to the podcast, not prescriptions, not a how to, a list of how to be a better leader, but in hearing the stories of people who have you know, face challenges within our convention family um, and who are doing something that, you know, sort of lots of people are recognizing as being effective leadership. Kind of hearing how that happened, not so that people can kind of emulate or copy, you know, what they've done, but so that they can contextualize, like look at their own um, context, their own personality and, and, and gifts for ministry and see what they can kind of discern. I, I think there's lots of trial and error when it comes to leadership. So kind of giving people permission uh, to try things, to maybe fail, to learn from, from their mistakes, from other people's mistakes and successes. So I think just putting a lot of that on the table and saying, let's, let's have kind of unfiltered conversations with people about their, their leadership journey. Um, I hope, my hope is that it will be a real encouragement. If we can encourage people through hearing stories mm. of 
unexpected leaders and about how God is using them and how God has opened doors, whether it's in churches or in community or, or in denominational leadership, whatever the context they may find themselves in, that if people could be encouraged by that and uh, say, you know what, if, if, if it can happen in their lives. I mean, Kevin Vincent, one of my colleagues, you know, he says if it can happen, you know, here, it can mm-hmm. happen there. Yeah. And uh, I think that if we can have people kind of look into, you know, some of our leaders' lives and say, yeah, you know, if, if God can use them, you know, he can use me. Mm-hmm. And as unexpected as I might feel, you know, he has a purpose and a plan to use me to make a difference for mm-hmm. his kingdom in, in whatever context that might look. And so, so I'm looking forward to that. I mean, I'm looking forward to know the stories. I, I love the <laughs> yeah. stories yeah. of how God calls people out of different trajectories yeah. uh, to be used in unexpected places. You know, if you sat and listened even to my wife, my wife would say she was raised in uh, rural Ontario in the Kawartha Lakes area. Her dad was, uh, you know, amongst many things, a beef farmer. And she had always said the one thing that wasn't going to happen was that she wasn't going to marry a pastor or she wasn't going to marry a farmer. <laughs> well, our first pastorate was in the Norton area where there's a good portion of people who yeah. who were farmers. And she would often say, yeah, and what did God do? God kind of, you know, made me yeah, yeah. <laughs> marry a pastor to farmers. And, you know, in the midst of that journey, she looks back now 25 years later, you know, she's had a significant role in the educational system mm-hmm. within our community of St. Stephen over the last 20 years. And she never would have kind of been used in that capacity mm-hmm. if yeah. God hadn't kind of taken her away from, you know, the GTA area. She was living in Mississauga teaching, you know, uh, in, in that context yeah. and took her to... So So I love those stories yeah. um, because I think that we all can be encouraged that God calls us, uh, whether we're pastor or layperson, and that God invites us into his story mm-hmm. from unexpected, yeah. you know, origins or beginnings. And so so for me, that's one of the parts that I'm looking at, that that would be encouraging yeah. uh, to those who take time to listen to this podcast. And, you know, the podcast is for everyone who finds themselves unexpectedly in leadership situations. And I think the other, the other part that I'm really excited about is uh, just getting to... Um, wrestle through with, you know, with the people that come in to talk to us. The opportunities and challenges of ministry in this particular time and place. And, um, you know, I've, I've been doing some reading on Gen Z and, and like I am, I've, I've always been, always will be a big picture thinker. And so I love thinking about some of the challenges the church is facing uh, in Canadian society, which is, you know, post-Christian, post, perhaps post-denominational, you know, trying to figure out where, where are the ministry opportunities and what are, what's the mindset to, to kind of un, unlock the, the opportunities. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited to hear the diverse ways that people are, are engaging with culture, engaging faith, um, leading within the church and leading the church into community. Um, I, I think this is a, just a really complex but exciting time to be talking. Like, there's so much information on leadership uh, from secular sources, and I think it's this is one area where we really have to kind of examine the best secular resources and then see, you know, like, are there ways in which those are misleading within a faith-based context? And I'm sure I've got lots of thoughts on that, which maybe will come out as we, as we get further on. But just to hear what's going on, 
um, how God is is uh, helping us to navigate these times. Yeah, I mean, these are such critical times uh, in terms of not only church leadership, but I think also community leadership, mm-hmm. government leadership. Uh, they're so critical in terms of having people um, being able to lead well. You know, one of my favorite quotes, uh, and I don't know if he's the origin of it or not, but out of um, Todd Bolsinger's book, Canoeing, um, mm-hmm. Canoeing the Mountains, he talks about that one of the first responsibilities of leadership is to define reality. And I think just going back to the self-awareness piece and all of the that dynamic, one of the hardest mm-hmm. things I think for our leaders to do today is to define reality well. Mm-hmm. Like what's the reality of our culture? What's the reality yeah. of church? Yeah. What's the reality that we're facing as a nation? Yeah. Um, what's the reality? I mean, in, in a context where, you know, the term fake news is real, <laughs> it just boggles the mind to yeah. be able to kind of say, how do we in a healthy way um, define reality? So I'm looking yeah. forward to having the conversations with our leaders to kind of say, you know, how do you define the reality of today yeah. within the context of your church and, and kind of what are the greatest things that you collectively are wrestling yeah. with? Yeah. What are those challenges yeah. that you're facing? Yeah. I, I generally find maps a bit confusing, but you know, like, you know, when you look at a map and it says you are here, <laughs> it, it gives you, it, it helps. You, you need to know where you are uh, to start with in order to kind of figure out where it is you're headed. Yeah. I mean, you were sharing coming up just kind of, some of, of how Dale, uh, you know, Lois' yeah, yeah. husband, as she mentioned, fishes, and um, that if they're in the fog and, you know, so critical to have their coordinates as to where they're going, they would say if they've lost kind of the visual, that they have to go back to where they began in terms of knowing what their coordinates yeah. were yeah. when they left harbor. Yeah. Uh, and so, so I think it's so important, even within the context of our culture and our church's culture mm-hmm. to be able to kind of say, you know, what's our coordinates? What's yeah. our what's our base here that yeah. we need to know what we're moving out from? You know, one of the key lessons from sociology is, is well, there's a, a saying, you can't stand in the same river twice. Even if you go down to the same river, same time every day and stand in the river, it's the river is constantly changing. And so the context for ministry, I would say, is constantly changing. So the taking stock, the always, you know, part of us always, I think, has to be taking stock of where we are and how the conditions around us are, are shifting and changing. You know, and if you make the mistake, and I think it is a mistake to say, well, we'll do this because it worked in the past, or we'll do this because it worked for somebody else. Um, you know, that's, it's probably not going to be as effective as, as the, the hard work may be of discerning, you know, what, you know, God knows where we are and God knows what the ministry is. Um, and I think in some ways we need to stop you know, sort of trying to repeat or copy what someone else has done and, and really do a lot of work around discernment. And then, and recognizing it's always changing. Like just when you think you've got it figured out, you know, it's gonna, there's going to be a shift. Thanks for listening to the Unexpected Leader podcast from the Canadian Baptist of Atlantic Canada. We're a family of over 450 churches and organizations joined together with the mission of joining God in our neighborhoods. This is a podcast from our Center for Leadership Development, and we want to invite you to join the conversation by heading to Instagram, where our username is Unexpected Leader. 
You might also be considering whether God is unexpectedly calling you as a leader. And if that is you, we invite you to head over to www.yourcalling.ca and check out the content we've created just for you. Again, that website address is www.yourcalling.ca. Today's episode is part of Season 1 of the Unexpected Leader Podcast. Please make sure to subscribe so you'll get new episodes as they're released.